Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Horse Geeks podcast, where we look at horses and riding from the inside out. I'm Kirsten Nelson, professional horse trainer, and with me, my compatriot, Deborah <laughs> Mero, certified Alexander Technique instructor. And today we wanted to discuss um, a research paper that we both had a quick look at um, about ground poles and raised poles and whether or not that is, how would we say, generically beneficial or not. Because mm -hmm. I think we've talked about ground poles and raised poles before in some of these podcasts, but this was an interesting paper that you found and sent to me. So do you want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, this was um, by Centaur Biomechanics, and they're in the UK. And I, I really am intrigued by all the studies they're doing now by, um, you know, electronic mapping. And, and so they've gotten really sophisticated information um, about the dynamics of the rider, the horse. Um, and I just picked this one out because I, it's so traditionally taught in training the use of ground poles or raised poles to, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like to increase the kinematics of the legs. Yeah. Across the board. It's... Across the board. I see it in every like training modality. You yeah. Know, you lots. see pictures on Facebook, there's ground poles or there's trotting raised poles. Um, yeah. So I thought, well, let's used find also out what they found out. Used with and without a rider. Right. No. So this study is with a rider, which I would love to see it without. So. Yeah. And the findings. Uh, do you want me to read the conclusion we had sort sure. of? Sure. Okay. Hang on. I might. Now I can make my I think that bigger. makes it easier than reading all the numbers because if the just of it is more important than the actual numbers. Okay. So the conclusions drawn from this paper, let's just go straight to that. With a rider, ground poles and raised poles place different biomechanical demands on the let me see if I can say this a little yeah, go for that. Thoracolumbosacral spine, basically the thoracic, the lumbar, and the sacrum. Right. Um, when compared to trotting over no poles, the increased rotational movement of the thoracolumbosacral spine should be considered when prescribing pole work exercises during training or rehabilitation programs. Further work should determine whether increased movement of the thoracolumbrosacral spine is desirable in strengthening the musculoskeletal system. So what does that mean? What it means is you can't send your horse over ground poles without influencing the use of the spine and the back in a nutshell. That's, right? yeah, bingo. And that is because the functions of the spine or the use of the thoracolumbrosacral spine, which is sort of the horse's back, loin, and hindquarters. We're going all the way basically to into the pelvis with that segment of the spine. That increasing what ground poles are meant to do is increase or exaggerate the flexion and extension of the legs. 
but nobody can see or even the rider like it's interesting they did the study with a rider and I want to I talk about so that too. Yeah. But a lot of people will use ground poles as part of groundwork or raised poles. Right. And what we like as humans is we see the leg joints bend, mm -hmm. right? We increase the flexion phase of the leg, but not being able to see what's going on with the back. And so one of the things they concluded in the research is that even with a rider, which sort of surprised me, that it's increasing the rotation function of the spine and lateral bending of the spine. So in other words, the horse is rolling the barrel and bending the spine, increasing those two functions of the spine in order to get the legs over the poles. So is that wow. beneficial or not beneficial? Hmm. Might depend on the horse, but in That's general, true. That's true. I think what we've talked about is the axial skeleton, which is the skull spine rib cage. And I always include the pelvis because it's part of stabilizing movement. That if that part of the body is not stable, then the limbs or the appendicular skeleton is going to have to take over the role of stability in motion. And it's balance. The same with people. Yeah, balance is always a give and take between mobility and stability. Like That's if you have too, to too much stability, right? You have stiffness and a lack of movement or lack mm -hmm. of mobility. But too much mobility, especially in the wrong area of the body, is actually going to increase stiffness in other areas of the body because there has to be this blend of stability and mobility. So what did you get out of the paper? What were some of the highlights or aha moments? The the aha moments, because I, I think it's something that a lot of people don't address is the rotation. We don't look at rotation as a subject. And that for me, what, and as an Alexander teacher with people, it's destabilizing <clears throat> the spine is what I see. Mm -hmm. That there's, to me, that means there's compensation going on um, to do that exercise. So it's kind of the thinking of the human that, oh, this exercise is going to increase, you know, ability to do other things, but really is it? I don't know. It actually can have the opposite effect because yeah. it can make the horse tighten the back muscles because you're sort of forcing the limbs into more mobility which means that if the back isn't stable, right, it's going to have to bend, twist, compensate in order to increase the mobility of the legs that isn't there because the back is not stable, because the back is not well-coordinated. The spine is not well-coordinated. Right. And then if you think of the rider, if the horse has got some sort of imbalance, let's say they were talking about more rotation. What if it's rotating more one direction? 
wh what's happening to the rider and how is the rider supporting or not supporting the horse correctly? Yeah. So, so that's what kind of boggles my mind. <laughs> it sort of interested me in the study because the rider is never neutral. It, right. If you have a really good rider, the rider's job is to counteract exactly that excessive movement of the spine by stabilizing our own body as a rider, right? So going over these poles with a rider and still showing an increase in the twisting function of rotation mm -hmm. and the lateral bending function of the spine, I thought that was really interesting because either if the rider is trying to counteract it, the ground poles are still making that very difficult, if not impossible. Or if the rider is not counteracting that, then the rider's weight is going to exaggerate the rotation and lateral bending of the horse's spine because they're going with the horse, which many people have been taught to do. Oh, yeah, I was. So. And it's to me, it's it's our backwards way of thinking um, that we think it has to always we're always looking at the horse's legs. We're always looking at the limbs, but really all the action is going on in the back. Yeah. And that's the part we can't see. And yeah. it takes a little bit of training even to learn how to feel what the how the horse is coordinating the spine that takes a little bit of training and practice yeah. to get good at knowing that as a rider. So the odds are really not in our favor or not in the horse's favor that just putting horses over ground poles, I think it makes the human feel better because we yeah. see we see the legs bend <laughs> There's more. There's movement. Yeah. And so we I think... mean, what we do going in circles at the walk is not fun to watch, you know? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it's like what are they doing that looks so boring but I think people forget that like a lot of times if there's arthritis in the leg joints mm. or if the horse is sort of sickle hocked or st functionally straight through the hocks when we see this sort of peg-legged movement in the horses mm. It sounds like a reasonable solution to get them to go over ground poles to help the legs remember how to bend. But in every stride, like I'm going to see if I can break this down. So when the legs bend, that's flexion of the leg joints, right? So particularly we want to see it in the hind legs because that means the horse is more engaged or moving more correctly. So... It's the the hip, the stifle, the hock, and the fetlock are all the hind leg joints. And when the leg scrunches up and folds, that's the flexion phase of the joints. And when the leg is straight, that's the extension phase, right? So extension just means the bones are coming farther apart in the joints, and flexion just means they're coming closer together. So in every single stride, when let's just take say a hind leg when the hind leg pushes off and the hoof leaves the ground the leg is in an ex a phase of extension the leg straightens as it pushes backwards 
Then the leg flexes or bends as it swings forward towards the center of the horse's body. And then as the hoof is hitting the ground, the leg is back in extension. So before we've completed one stride, we've gone through extension, flexion, extension. Then during the breaking phase of the stride, which is when the hoof hits the ground, and in that phase, it goes back into flexion as the whole breaking mechanism, which is the phase of leg swing and the use of the hindquarters and the back, it's going to flex again as the body is resisting acceleration and body weight from falling forward. Then it's going to extend again and hit peak vertical where the leg transitions from breaking back into pushing, right? So from peak vertical, the leg is back in extension, straightens and starts thrusting or pushing against the ground force in order to propel forward motion. And as soon as the hoof comes off the ground, that's the end of the pushing phase. The leg flexes again, swings forward, extends, flexes, extends, flexes, right? So we have multiple phases of flexion and extension in every single stride, mm -hmm. no matter what. And so when we see things like the horse dragging the toes, or tripping mm -hmm. up front, like on the front feet, the horses will tend to trip or stumble. And on the hind feet, the horse will tend to sort of drag the toe when they don't have enough flexion. So if you don't have enough flexion, then balancing the speed, right? Equalizing the braking and the pushing phases of every leg stride is going to start equalizing the flexion and extension through all the joints. The problems we have with toe dragging or stiff hocks or bad stifles is the leg doesn't flex very well. That's why we want to see it lift up over a ground yeah. pole. <laughs> but I go, if we have to go over a ground pole in order to see it, it should already be happening. And I just so, had a thought that shouldn't shouldn't the foot be on the ground longer for better back function than shorter? Because I'm thinking if we're using poles, the horse is actually having to more quickly engage the legs instead of spending time placing the leg underneath them and moving through that whole range of motion. Yeah. So we're what kind the ground... of shortcutting the motion within itself. Yes. Cause and... horses don't travel like that. They, they no, don't they... move. They don't, cause that's what just came into my head. I'm like, wait, they don't move that way. Yeah. The ground pole causes the leg to go up and down. Up and down. Yeah. But correct flexion and extension is directly related to the acceleration or pushing force balanced with the control stabilizing braking force. Is, so is if, that like the comparison of somebody walking down a hill, you know, or up a hill or something that people could 
Yeah. So you've got to have we... some sort of resistance in the movement. There's tone going on to create. Does that make right. sense? So if we walk down a hill or like, let's say we're walking down a really steep hill. We take smaller steps because mm -hmm. the hill itself has a downward pull on our body, right? So when we walk down a hill, we have to exaggerate the braking phase of our stride. Right. And if we increase pushing, then we're going to kind of either hurl down the hill, right. sort of hoping to gain our stability through momentum, or we're going to fall. So when we're walking down a steep hill, that work we feel in our muscles and the extra bending of our leg joints is what's resisting us falling on our face. Right. Right. And then, of course, we're still pushing because we're walking. So when our foot sort of goes behind our torso, that's the pushing phase. When our foot lands in front of us, that's the braking phase. So our two legs do the same thing the horse's legs do. Right. Which is one phase of the stride is resisting so we don't fall forward. And the other phase is pushing or creating forward. So it's forward, resist, forward, forward, resist, forward. Right. And so if our knees don't work so well or our hips don't bend, right, forcing us to step, to go down a steeper hill or over, say, ground poles or raised right. poles, right? We might have to stiffen our back and sort of tilt or bend in order to get those rusty joints to flex more. Right. We would have to compensate just like a horse if our joints were not comfortable already in that flexion and extension or the bending of the leg and the straightening of the leg. So if the horse just being ridden on flat ground either has really bad brakes, can't slow down, mm -hmm. or doesn't want to go forward, what we call our lazy horse, all of that's directly related to how they're balancing this sort of thrust forward with stability during the thrust forward. Right. So, so are we saying, I'm trying to visualize it, the, and I could be totally wrong with this, but the braking phase and the pushing phase, one should not be greater than the other. If one exceeds the other, then <clears throat> obviously if the braking exceeds the acceleration, we stop or the body okay. stops, right? And, but if the pushing exceeds the braking, if the acceleration, if we have no brakes, right, then <clears throat> we have no control over the forward motion. Right. Right. And so that happens in bodies as well as cars. And the braking technically is spelled B-R-A-K-E, just like the brakes in our car. And so in that phase, if our joints, it's just like if you see people with a bad hip or they've had a knee replacement, they tend to waddle a little side to side, mm -hmm. right, when they move. And that only sort of 
exacerbates the problem. And so if they're already a little bit crooked or stiff because there's knee pain or hip joint pain, then getting them to take higher steps or going up and down stairs isn't necessarily going to help. I just keep getting this visual of if somebody has to do that, they really need a pole to hang on to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and horses can't do that. You know, just it's incredible what we ask them to do. Yeah. So what a horse will do instead is stiffen the back, either bend the spine or rotate the spine. And that's what was sort of measured in this paper is yes, that is what happens. Even with a rider, which I found interesting, because theoretically, the rider should be able to support the stability of the spine and theoretically increase the bend of the legs over the poles without disturbing the use of the spine. But maybe in, it's, in it's this... not been discussed what is correct use of the spine. Maybe that because that's just not addressed. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, because maybe we're just by by this study, we're just beginning to explore the functions of the back instead of always being focused on the kinematics of the legs. Right. Yeah. No, and the main function of the back that most people know about is lifting the back, which is yeah. called spinal flexion, right? It's an upward, just like flexion in the legs. It's basically an upward direction of the spine when the lower part, the lower bones of the spine are coming closer together. Mm -hmm. So most people know about lifting the back. But lateral bending and rotation are two other important functions of the spine. And they're meant to be minimized. So if you look at the design of the spine, each joint of a spine has a very limited range of motion. Each vertebra can move in millimeters compared to a leg joint that can right. go through a much greater range of motion. So that limited natural range of motion between each of the vertebra tells us this area of the body is meant for stability, not mobility, right? And even throughout the spine, the neck has a lot more mobility than the lumbar and the sacrum. Right. The thoracic has less mobility than the neck, but more mobility than the lumbar. Right. So that natural range of motion in those intervertebral joints tells us how it's meant to function. And that's what biomechanics is really about. You study the body and the structure function principle says each structure is the shape it is with the range of motion it has in the area of the body it's in because it has a specific job. And so when we're trying to increase by just putting our horse over ground poles, we're trying to increase the range of motion through the joints that should have a great range of motion. But why don't they? The reason they That's don't. That's the question. Yeah. Right. Why don't they already is the question. And we have to look deeper because if the spine 
is more mobile than it should be, if it's not stabilized with the movement of the bones really minimized, right? Reducing rotation, reducing lateral bending, reducing downward extension of course, yeah. and increasing upward flexion. If the spine isn't doing that, then any instability or excessive mobility through the spine itself means the leg joints have to reduce their range of motion. Because if the part that's meant to be stable is too mobile, then the body parts that are meant to be mobile have to become stable. And I, we can attest to that just looking at my two horses. I mean, my, my little finer things, she is that. She is, her whole middle is moving and her legs are stiff and it's like jolting to ride. Yes. She has no stability in her back. I mean, she's, she's getting better, but that's an example. And then my other big mare She's stiff in her back. Right. So Which her legs it... tend to be all over the place. So whether we feel the instability right. through the midline, which is one of your horses, or we feel a stiffness through the midline, mm -hmm. either way, both of those qualities tell us that the spine is unstable. It's moving too much. So in the stiff case, that horse's muscles are kicking in along right. the back in order to try to find generate stability muscularly. So not right. only do the legs get stiff, but the muscles get stiff. And if the horse doesn't have the muscular capacity to do that, then the legs quit flexing and extending. They stay right. more in extension in order to stabilize through the limbs because the axial skeleton or the midline is not as stable as it should be. And I think those horses, you feel it. I mean, there's a difference in feel. I mean, she is extremely hard. The one that has the rib cage that moves all over the place, extremely hard to ride the trot. Yeah, because the joints, when the back and spine are stabilized, I go to me, that's my primary focus as a trainer. Right. Stabilize all of the spinal functions and increase the flexion gently. Because the more, the reason we want the horse to lift the back or increase flexion is because it provides more stability. Right. Right. So if the back is pushing down, it destabilizes the entire body or the entire midline. Right. So when our horse is dropping the back, it increases rotation, increases lateral bending, right? Disengages the hindquarter and stiffens all the muscles and the limbs so that the body can function. And that's not a conscious choice. That's just what bodies do in order to not fall over. Right. Some body parts have to be stable while other body parts are mobile. And so if that's happening, in the wrong area of the body. Now, if we look at taking an unstable horse, whether it's stiff or wiggly, both of those uses of the back muscles tell us the spine itself is not stable. 
is not well well coordinated and organized and stable. So if I take your stiff horse and pop her over ground poles or especially raised poles, it's only going to make her tighter, even though I got more bend through the leg. Because as right. soon as I increase mobility in the legs, right, she has to tighten the muscles more to keep to her stabilize. back stable. Because that's all that's all she knows. I mean, that's that's what she knows. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And the same thing with your bendy horse. If we put that horse over the ground poles, now we've got mobility everywhere. Right. And so it's excessive mobility compared to stability, which means that horse is likely going to rush or refuse to move forward or freak mm. out or <laughs> be incredibly hard to ride. She's incredibly hard to ride. <laughs> and when I hear that from people, then I know there's definitely a a stability problem when somebody says i cannot ride my horse at the trot it's really hard to ride yeah I, I know we've got a stability problem yeah because ideally when the axial skeleton is stable the skull the spine the rib cage and the pelvis when that part of the body is holding stability during motion then the whole reason we want to increase flexion or extension of the joints is because the joints of the legs act like shock absorbers. Mm. So it gives us a smooth ride. Not only is the back where we're straddling more stable, but when the back is functioning correctly, then the leg joints already start to increase the flexion and balance it with the extension during every stride. So balanced extension and flexion or bending and straightening of the legs gives us, it, it's like the body's natural shock absorbers. Right. Right. If the legs aren't bending enough and equalizing bend, straighten, bend, straighten, then it's more like sort of walking on crutches. It's kind of stiff mm -hmm. and propelling forward rather than that shock absorbing effect. Yeah. So if I take a horse that's already unstable through the spine and put them over ground poles, I'm likely it's I'm by increasing the mobility of the legs, it's not going to make the back more stable. It's going to make the back compensate more. It's going to throw the back, the spine further into dysfunction or make the muscles tighter because there's suddenly no stability anywhere if the legs have been doing their job of stabilizing because the midline is unstable. And it's that that's what they showed in this study is even with a rider, that's what happened. Yeah. It's very and, interesting. Yeah. And the paper gets a bit into the weeds with specific measurements. And again, those measurements are super small because each joint, each vertebra in the spine is not meant to move a lot. Right. There's it's not, not much supposed room. to. I think that's a good point. Besides people don't know what a back is, is doing. That that's that's a good point. We just don't know. We're not looking at that function. We're looking at the legs all the time. Yeah. 
or a, the position of the head and neck is somehow supposed to influence the back or the use of the legs is somehow supposed to influence the back. And all that is, is humans want to see a change. Yeah, they do. And so we figure if we can kind of get the neck in what looks like the right position, then we can get the back, even though we know nothing about the back and can't see it. Right. And then the yeah, same thing with so the legs. Visual. We think we need to. And it's so much smaller than that. You know, it's really a kinesthetic it, it feel when you're riding underneath you instead of what's going on with the legs. Yeah. And so basically, if the movement is wiggly and noodly, you you have an unstable dysfunctional use of the spine. And if the movement is super stiff and jarring, you also have mm -hmm. unstable or dysfunctional use of the spine. So everybody sort of responds to that differently. Some bodies right. are hypermobile and very wiggly and others are stiff and lack sort of ease of movement and horses do the same thing right so if <clears throat> when we ride our horse if it's unstable under the saddle we're going to have abnormal use of the legs it even so, goes back to looking at the feet right have we talked about that before you can even see the difference sometimes the hoof shape is different on one front foot than the other. Yeah, because as the hoof grows, whatever forces are affecting the hoof growth from the top of the horse down is going to influence- That's the key. <laughs> where the flares are, where the mm -hmm. high spots are, where the low spots are, how much hoof they grow, how much heel they grow. It's all of that is dictated by the way the forces are acting from the top line down through the legs during motion. So like a good farrier can tell when the training is changing the movement of the horse or the coordination of the movement because the feet start to look different. They take a different shape. Right. And it takes time. That's a time factor too. Well, it's no faster than us going to the gym and starting a workout program. Right. I go, it's not going to magically happen because a horse is an animal. It still is because a body. Because they have four legs. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I hear that from people all the time. Oh, I, I'm out of shape. You know, we hear that all the time. And I'm going to go to the gym and start working out. And I'm like, well, you can still have inappropriate use of your body while you're doing that exercise is what it boils down to. The same thing with this study is you can still have dysfunction. Yeah. I think injury, even if you think you're <laughs> by adding exercise. Yeah. And I think that's the importance of this study is yeah. that somebody took the time to sort of put the um, little muscle readers and diodes. they're called right. something and i can't remember what they're called yeah. but to sort of measure what's happening in the part we can't see yeah. right that's the important part and what they found was over ground poles and raised poles compared to no poles 
it had a destabilizing effect on the spine. Even with a rider, which I found interesting because theoretically that would be your best case scenario, is that the rider could stabilize the horse's back while going over ground poles and you could gain some benefit. Mm -hmm. But in this study, either the rider didn't know how to do that, which is a learned skill, or even if the rider did that, it didn't protect the horse from becoming it less. It didn't influence it enough. enough. I mean, I, sometimes we don't realize, I think when, you know, we're working together that you have to create as much force as the horse is forcing up against you. Yeah. In order to And, be stable, it's like getting your right. sea legs. You can't let the wave throw you Take off the over. side of the boat. Right. And mm -hmm. it sometimes is more force than we could ever imagine. It can be a lot. For With using our bodies to help the horse stay neutral, we may have to go, you know, to an extreme right side or left side to stabilize that rotation. And it's just, it's way more than sometimes I've ever thought it would be. Yeah. Because it's a lot of force coming through the center of the horse up into our bodies as riders. And then if you think of it, it's at the trot that, that your timing as a rider has to be even better. Well, the good news is at the trot, the legs do more of the work and the back does less. Yeah. And I think that's why more horses can find balance easier in trot than they can walk. Right. In the walk, the back muscles have to do a lot more work. And in the trot, the tendon ligament system of the legs along with the leg joints is actually doing most of the work. That's why the trot's very efficient for Could horses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I know we'll have to talk about that sometime. I'll have to find the paper on elastic strain energy. Yeah. But that's one that of the one things that makes horses very unique as huge prey animals They can move for long distances at fast speeds, even though they're big because of the design of the legs. And there's no muscle from the no, middle leg joint to the much. hoof. Kind of, like, kind of like people, you know, the lower leg and into the foot, it's, it's a lot of ligaments and tendons more than muscles. Yeah, in horses, there's no muscle from what we call the knee on the front legs, which is the carpus to the hoof, and on the hind legs from the hock to the hoof, it's all yeah. tendon, ligament, bone, and fascia. Yeah. And so there is, it's not muscles that are propelling it necessarily. It's the tendon and ligament system that are connected to muscles up higher, but that tendon ligament system and the balanced flexion extension through the joints of the leg, all of that is working like an apparatus that sort of stretches upon concussion and then releases the stretch, releases that strain energy, which propels the foot forward. So it takes very little effort to actually move the legs. And that's what makes horses so efficient. It's very noticeable at trot. That's where we see it the most. Happens at every speed. But in the walk, the horse has to use more muscular effort up higher, the bigger muscles, okay, to control 
yeah, to control the stability of the axial skeleton, the midline. So I found it's sort of like what you said, if we have rusty joints, like our joints don't work so well in our knees and hips or ankles or even shoulders, and we go to the gym and we think, well, if I can do eight to 10 reps on this machine, it's going to restore the function of my joints, which will make me better. And I go, well, like, you know, depends on how you do that. Because exactly. if you end up bending and twisting and contorting the spine because you're trying to find comfort in a restricted joint, then you're probably going to do more damage than good. Yeah, I can just, because I used to be a bodybuilder. So I, I these guys in the gym, you know, <laughs> heavy weights, but they're like arching their back and shortening their neck. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so humans do it too. It's like, oh, all the time. Yeah. No, and that's what you and Jana talk about is end gaining is mm -hmm. like if the horse just has to get over the poles, they're going to figure out a way to do it and not fall over. But the, exactly. act, the act of doing that doesn't necessarily have a benefit. There you go. And that's what I loved about this study. And I know that we need to study it further is that they pretty much in the conclusion just said, you know, we need to study this. They just said increased rotation. They didn't say whether that was good or bad. You know, they just, they don't know. Right. We don't know yet, but it's great that somebody is starting to look at the back and how, what we ask the horse to do affects their structure. Absolutely. Even our weight and mass affects their structure. Exactly. And even from the ground, how we're using our whip, our halter, our lead rope, our lunge line, we're influencing their movement constantly. Yeah. And we don't, it, I, people don't take that seriously. You know, they don't understand that how they're using themselves affects their horse, even if they're not on them. Right. And using the tools and the aids. Right. And so a lot of times, like in nature, horses figure out how to be efficient. If you look at a herd of Mustangs, it's a very efficient horse. We don't really think they're beautiful, but they're highly efficient. They have great right. feet. They have sort of thick bone structure. They're sort of compact, strong, agile, and can go long distances, no problem. But every day they're moving in search of food and water. They might play a little. They might defend a little from a predator, but mostly it's long periods of relaxed motion that helps a horse learn how to use their body. And it's unencumbered. It's not exactly, you know, so if there is a hill or a rock, they're going to find the path of least resistance. They're not going to go straight for the hardest part of a hill or they, straight is onto that, is that way they do switchbacks. Is that why they build trails switchbacks like this? <laughs> That's well, easier than going straight up or straight down. Yeah, because straight yeah. up and straight down is going to really tax 
the joints of the legs and the stability of the, the torso or the axial skeleton. And that's exactly why we have switchbacks up and down hills right. is because it makes that incline and decline more gradual, which is easier to manage. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think of like, if my horse is dragging the toes, has hock arthritis, has a catchy stifle, isn't doing great with either wanting to go forward or being able to control forward, the odds of ground poles making my horse's problem worse are higher than the odds of helping my horse discover better balance. And that's, like I said, if we take a big step back and just look at mm -hmm. the essence of balance is a constant adjustment between mobility and stability. Too much right. mobility, we lose all stability. Too exactly. much stability, we lose all mobility. And so there's different structures in the body that by design are meant to be more stable and other structures that are meant to be more mobile. But if we haven't made sure the stability is there before we try to increase mobility, then we might be tipping that body balance the wrong way. Yeah. Our, our horse could become more stiff or hypermobile. Or injured. And, you know, mm -hmm. you could get an injury from it. Yeah. And I love that this, was it Centaur Biomechanics mm -hmm. did this, funded this research because it's ubiquitous. Like it is just one of those things that, if I had a nickel for every time I heard a vet say, put your horse over ground poles, do long trots for stifle issues or hawk issues, it, it's like it just seems to be sort of a like a known remedy or we assume it's always going to work. I and think it it's that gets... assumption that always one exercise is going to help all. And we're not taking into account individuality. Or we're just looking at what we can see yeah. rather than like in this study, they had to put sensors on the horse's back to know what was going on because we can't see it. We can't see it. No. Yeah. Our, yeah. Our visual isn't going to, we can feel it if we're, if we're trained as a rider trained to feel to it. Listen that way. But again, that's a small percentage of riders that yeah. are trained that way or well-versed in what that means. Most of us just have the saddle slide off to one side and get a tighter girth, you know? Or think <laughs> it's the saddle. Or I need a sticky saddle pad because my saddle yeah. keeps sliding to the left or the right. I go, well, that's a rotation issue. That's a problem. What, yeah, what I tell people is the saddle goes with the horse's movement. So yeah. if the saddle's hanging off to the left, you've got a horse that's rolling to the right. Rolling to the left. So that would be the they're low rolling, side. Yeah they're, yeah, they're bowing, I guess. Their rib cage is going more out on the right if the yes. saddle. So it would be higher on the right and more outward. And on the left, it would yeah. be lower and more inward. <clears throat> and and people, that's a rotation. That way. No, but everybody has that problem. Yeah, I mean, even saddle fitters will flock saddles asymmetrically 
because it's a chronic habit for certain horses right to have a rotation a fixed rotation issue where they're always crooked and that is not comfortable nor is it going to allow the legs to function through a full balanced range of flexion and extension right well it's you, just you... like you said with people it's a it's a limp or a stiffening yeah in, or a waddle or a waddle. I yeah. love that. It's a waddle. <laughs> yeah. And and that's that is because the body's not functioning the way it was meant to. But stability, I got to say is is a much higher priority for all bodies than anything else. I agree. Because and if I, we don't have stability, we literally can't function. Right. Whether and it's, it's a horse. it goes right to the central nervous system. It's 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 much, you know, it's very sensitive internally to that. Absolutely, because our yeah. safety depends on it. There's a safety issue, you know, it, you can take it with humans, aged people, and the fear of falling. I mean, all of that is because of lack of stability. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the horse is not, you know, we've talked about that before. They're going to act out in some way if they're not stable. They're going to have something to say about it. <laughs> Absolutely. No, pretty much everything we call behavioral problems, it boils down into two categories. Either the horse doesn't feel safe with us or our horse feels so uncomfortable in the way they, they are coordinating their body that they just don't want to cooperate because it's so uncomfortable. So, right. If we've earned our horse's trust and our horse feels safe with us, all of our other training issues, like not turning to the right, falling into the left, mm -hmm. going too fast, going too slow, not lifting the back, not taking the rein contact, all of that is directly related to how they're physically coordinating their bodies. Exactly. And resolving that problem when it comes to sort of guiding the horse's body. Okay, this part is meant to be stable. Let's encourage that more, right? Then let the mobility start to come through. Because as soon as we're shifting where the body is organizing stability, which should be through the midline, skull, right. spine, rib cage, pelvis, when that part of the body becomes more stable, that's what frees up the limbs to restore exactly. proper flexion and extension. So until the back is stable, if we're still getting catapulted around the saddle, mm -hmm. then no amount of ground poles is going to make that better. It could make it worse because you're trying to increase mobility in the legs while the horse is trying to use the legs for stability. Right. And I can see a horse refusing to go through the poles because it just physically can't. Yeah, or making one big giant leap over <laughs> four poles. I love that. I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. No, and I had one mentor tell me, which I thought was interesting. He was very against ground poles. And he said, if you really want, you know, to sort of challenge the flexion and extension of the leg joints, but with having the back congruent in that process, he goes, then you have to jump a horse over something at least two feet high. 
two feet high or higher, if you're going over a jump, the whole body is now more likely going to involve the back, pelvis, and leg joints to break before the jump and push over the jump. Interesting. Yeah. And I thought that was very interesting that jumping would be a more integrated exercise than ground poles or raised poles. Oh, that would be an interesting study. Mm -hmm. I have to suggest that. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be because his theory was at least two feet, if not three feet, is where the body has to work as one unit to get over that, that jump. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But again, if they're jumping hollow, they may get over the jump, but you really didn't get the benefit you were intending. Or twisting, you know, some I've seen some horses have the ability to twist their hind end to get over a jump. Absolutely. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the body has no rules. Just like our body, we figure out as we go how to go get that job done. <clears throat> right. And the more pressure we're under to do it, the less we have conscious awareness of how we're doing it. So pushing our horses to go faster, jump bigger, putting pressure on them to do the task mm. usually will lead to dysfunctional use of the body. <clears throat> because just like us, when we're learning to walk on a balance beam, it doesn't help to go faster. It helps to go mm -hmm. slower. Right. Yeah. Or when we're learning to ride a bike, it doesn't help to start on a hill. It helps mm -hmm. to start on flat ground, right? When we're learning to drive a car, it doesn't help to start on the highway. It helps to start in the parking lot. Parking lot. <laughs> parking lot. Right. So just sort of in any given ride, whether we're in an arena or on a trail or whatever, if we start to consider how stable, level, and easy is, you know, is the saddle, is my horse's back? Mm. Is it level? Is it, do I feel the midline straight? Does, does it feel like it's rolling side to side or sort of stable side to side and level? And do I feel like the forces of motion are constantly unseating me as a rider? Or is it easy to sit quiet and still on my horse? That's the difference between correct function and incorrect function through yeah. the spine. So I the, think as humans, we definitely have to go more towards the feel and not the visual of what we see. Yeah, the visual, we can look at postural changes by choice rather than influence and see kind of what our horse chooses to do right. when we're doing groundwork. That'll give us an indication of how they use their spine. But the more we influence, the less we know what the horse's choice is. Exactly. So a lot of like groundwork gadgets, I go once again, like ground poles, you're sort of trying to create this visual ideal without really knowing what that horse is doing in the part we can't see. Mm -hmm. yeah. Anything else you want to add? No, good study. Good study. I did like that study. Thanks for yeah. sending it to me. It was very, yeah, it was just short and sweet where some of them can be kind of lengthy but the outcome was for further information so i like well that. and i really find it encouraging 
that somebody even thought of this study because ground poles, cavalettis, raised poles, whatever we call them, they've been used for thousands Ever. of years. I'm in guilty. Horse training. I'm, I'm, oh yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> again, you know, maybe there's a few benefits, but we need to look at the individual horse and we need to look at what are we starting with? If I have yeah. a really unstable back, I might not want to do ground poles, right? If I have a super, like you have a stiff horse and a wiggly horse, then putting those horses over ground poles could actually make them compensate either in a more complicated way or just further encourage what they're already doing that's dysfunctional. Right. <clears throat> so thanks for sending that. And I was sure. really happy to see that it was even a topic of study. I know. I was like, oh, look at this one. <laughs> I know, because I feel like a heretic when people ask me about ground poles. I'm like, yeah, I don't use ground poles or raised poles. They're like, what? 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 Yep. And then if their vet recommends them, I just stand back and go, okay, have at it. Um, but, yep. But, there's there, yeah, this is the beginning. And I know there's another study out there that I'm going to try to get my hands on that was done in the States, um, but I haven't gotten it yet. So yeah. And I'll try to dig it. up some papers on elastic strain energy. And oh, I'd love works. that. Yeah. Cause that's that pretty be fascinating. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating. It's unique to horses. It what it's what makes them very unique movers is that okay. elastic strain energy through the legs. Good. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Please like, share, and subscribe. Spread it around if you like this podcast. We really appreciate it. And let us know if you have any questions. You yes. can always put questions in the Please. comments. And we're always looking for new things to talk about with horses. Uh, well, it never ends, but it never ends. Suggestions are always welcome. Yes. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Goodbye, everybody. See you next time.